worship with us if you feel more comfortable staying seated that's fine too we're just going to lift the lord up in prayer and uh hopefully uh we're gonna have a great service today i know the lord has a lot in store for us and uh, the youth have something planned for you so join us as we lift the lord up in praise together and let's sing our praises out to him sing on to the lord
Praise the Lord. Give God the glory this morning. Isn't it great that He never lets go? Amen? Now, I understand Stormy and Wendy's out and the, and the, the shields are out with, the, with the things going on, but that don't mean the rest of y'all can't say amen and get loud. Amen? amen. There you go. I, I told Stormy, you can't miss a Sunday. I'm used to you saying amen and plugging me in back there. So somebody's going to have to take up his slack this morning, all right? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just come before you and thank you for this opportunity we have today to to open your word, to share it in song, just a guy it's been a great Sunday school class already, and it's just been awesome just to fellowship and know that you are here. So I pray as we go into this service this morning, Lord God, open our hearts, open our ears to what you have to say, whether it be in song, whether it be in a prayer, whether it be in the skit, whatever it may be, Lord God, may we hear you and allow you to change our lives wherever it needs to be changed. Some of us may be a little bit, some of us a whole bunch. But God, whatever it is, may we not leave out of this place before we know who you are. We pray your will to be done, Lord God, and I just ask in the name of Jesus that you be here with us. And if there is someone here today, God, for whatever reason, they don't know you. They've never surrendered their heart unto you. Father, may this be the day they choose life over death. May they seek you out and be what you've called them to be. In Jesus' holy, precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And Stormy and Wendy did text me and tell everybody they sorry they couldn't be here. Their family's in. Um, and then other people had some uh, family come in as well. In fact, all my family's going to be here today, too. Praise, praise God. I, I, I thank you for your prayers, guys. Uh, let, let me say that real quick. I'm getting better. They, uh, back to, on that chart of goals where you're supposed to be, I'm, on, I'm just now starting week four recovery, and I'm already tapping the things that says week six to eight. And my, the bend of my knee is already at week 12. So I am way ahead of schedule, and I know that's because of the prayers of the saints. And, and yeah, God gets the glory. Also, too, it is awesome today. Right after service, I get to go home. All my kids and grandbabies are going to be there, and, and we're all, they're all coming together because Cody, though he's been, you know, he pulled three tours there in Afghanistan. Now, he's been in the States for a little while now, but he's, he's going to be at the, I'm going to find, he's home. He's finally going to get to be home. I'm going to see him at lunch today. Amen. That's right. So I'm, everybody's home except for Marina's in college. It's Sam Houston. She won't be able to be here, but everybody else is going to be there. So Cody's home, and I know that's because of your prayers. I'm doing better because of your prayers. Remember, guys, pray for one another. Seek out and just, just lift one another in prayer. It makes the day in life go a whole lot easier. Amen? Praise the Lord. Walk around a second. Shake somebody's hand. Give somebody a hug. Just tell them it's good to see them in God's house this morning. Jesus is the way, it's Him we glorify. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father this or any day. Unless He first comes through the Son, Jesus is the way. We must teach them while they're young, Jesus is the way. To our daughters and our sons, Jesus is the way. In our words and in our song, Jesus is the way. A simple truth to make them strong, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, it's Him we glorify. Jesus is the way, He's the truth and the light. No man comes unto the Father this or any day, lest he first come through the Son, 
Jesus is the way. Make it easy, make it plain. Jesus is the way. Simple yes to understand. Jesus is the way. Put the word deep in their heart. Jesus is the way. When they grow, they won't depart. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. It's Him we glorify. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father this or any day. Lest he first come through the Son, Jesus is the way. We must teach them while they're young, Jesus is the way. To our daughters and our sons, Jesus is the way. In our words and in our song, Jesus is the way. Simple truth to make them strong. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. It's Him we glorify. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father this or any day. Lest He first come through the Son. Jesus is the way. Guys. You want to hit those lights for me? All right, just a few announcements this morning. Just a few announcements, that, that, but they are important. One of which is our, our coat drive. If you remember, Corey got up last week and spoke about we're doing the winter coat drive, sweaters, things of that nature for the, um, the group that we went and did the uh, project missions for down, downtown this summer. Uh, he said to, the, to report to you that the youth, remember the youth challenged the adults to how many coats they could do. The youth have already filled their tote twice, and the adults are still at only half a tote. So he, he wanted to point out that we are a tote and a half behind the youth, and the youth are still going. So if you would like to, uh, if you go by a Goodwill or something like that, or you have some jackets or coats at the house that you would like to donate, make sure you bring those up. And even though this is a friendly competition, remember, all of it goes together, and it's going to help out those that, that don't have anything to help them stay warm this coming winter. Uh, candy and toy. There's a list in your bulletin of the things we need for our fall festival. Now, primarily for fall fest, what I would encourage you to do is pray. We, the prayers are the mightiest thing that we have. Be praying for the kids that are going to be coming to the fall fest. Be praying for the, the parents, the grandparents. Um, be praying that, that God's will be done. Yes, they turn the fans off. If you don't want them on, guys, just, just, just pull the string there. Um, be, be in prayer and let people know that, hey, we, we, we care about you, we love you, and be praying that, that God's will will be done. Amen? Now, putting hands and feet to those prayers. We're still really behind on our candy supply. If you've ever been to one of our Fall Fests, this is one of the largest outreaches this church has. We, there, there's several hundred people and kids are going to be, and kids, there are people too, but there's, there's several hundred folks going to be here at our Fall Fest this, that, this coming, that Monday. I want to encourage you to, to put hands and feet. Get the candy, the toys. Remember, we have our big table that we allow the kids to exchange candy for toys. And that way they can have the stuffed animals. If you have lightly used stuffed animals or if you want to go to the dollar store and get those little uh, trinket-type toys, things of that nature, there's a whole list of stuff that's needed in your bulletin still. If God's laid it on your heart to help supply one of those needs, please do so. Get with get with uh, Miss Lou or Carla or, or, or Miss 
Judy and let them know that, hey, the Lord sent me here to do this and, and throw that in. Okay, uh, the only other thing I want to mention, and this is kind of important, or very important actually. <clears throat> the, I've had a lot of meetings up here this week, a lot of marital meetings, premarital meetings, things of this nature. I've had a lot of stuff going on. But I was thinking one of the primary things that I always mention, especially in, in premarital meetings, uh, counseling, is that you have to have good communication. If you want a relationship to work, whether it be a marital relationship, whether it be a, a relationship at your work between a supervisor and their employees, uh, between a, a parents and their children, there has to be good communication, good understanding of what the other one means and, and thought patterns. You can't have good communication if it's just one-sided. So communication is an important aspect to any relationship, and that includes within a church body. Uh, I, I had someone come to me this past week, and they had a, a, a small liturgy of things that they wanted to address uh, with things that's going on, and, he, and they mentioned, and it was great, that's awesome. But they had mentioned that they were bringing this from several different people because people were afraid they might make me angry or something of that nature. Let me say this, guys. Never worry about making me angry. I, I serve a Lord that's bigger than all you guys. And as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I, I'd rather have that communication. See, the problem with one person bringing any kind of comments is now those other people don't know what I have to say or how to address those situations. Please feel free. Like we had in Sunday school this morning, we talked about a, a, a concept, well, the Nephilim, and what many people believe and, and how outlandish those thoughts are. But they believe those things sometimes because they never actually communicated about what does the Scripture actually say. So we need to get together on these kinds of things. So if you have issues, you got something you'd like to bring up, please always remember, feel free. Uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to, to, to listen and be a part and do whatever it is that we need to do together. Amen? And that also includes the Scripture, as you've heard me say many a time. If you, if you have a question with one of the Scriptures I use or something like that, that's a great opportunity for us to get together. And, and, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe we're both wrong and we're going to meet in the middle somewhere. But you never know if you don't communicate. So communication, guys, that's, that's, a, that's a huge thing that we need to make sure we have in all relationships. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to turn these lights off and I'm going to turn it over to, to some demons or to Cody or some, Corey or somebody. I guess they hear me.
ominously towering it stood, the symbol of a spirit war between the one named Lucifer and the Morning Star, the ultimate of good. Enveloped by a trillion planets, clean as lightning and hard as granite, a cosmic coliseum would host the end of the war between the Lord of sin and death and the omnipotent creator of man's first breath, who will decide who forever will be the champion. Your blood will cleanse their sin and calm their fears. 
Then he pointed his finger at Satan and said, And I know you know the rules. You've been twisting them to deceive my people for years. Satan cried, I'll kill you, Christ. You will never win this fight. The demons wheezed. That's right. There ain't no Satan jeered. You're dead, man, Jesus. I'm on a bust you up Jesus said, Go ahead, make my day. Then Satan kicked him in his side, and blood and water flowed. And they waited for the ten count of defeat. God the Father turned his head, his tears announcing Christ was dead. The ten count would proclaim the battle's end. Then Satan trembled through his sweat. In unexpected horror, yet, as God started to count by saying, Ten. Hey, wait a minute, God. Nine. You're counting wrong. Eight. Seven. His fingers are twitching. Six. Where's all this light coming from? Five. He's alive. Four. Guys, praise the Lord. I'm glad I don't have to back that up. Bob, you're up. <laughs> Hallelujah. What a story. We're going to lift the Lord up in song. Um, this is a, an old hymn, and hopefully uh, a lot of you know this, I know. And uh, sing out to the Lord. 
the Lord's uh, blessed you today. Let's lift him up and show him our praise together. <laughs> praise God. Come the fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me song, melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love Here I raise my Ebenezer Hither by thy help I come And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He do rescue me from danger Interposed His precious blood Oh, to grace how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to thee. Let thy grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take it, seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come thy fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Yes, Lord. I am not skilled to understand What God has willed, what God has planned I only know at His right hand Stands one who is my Savior I'll take Him at His word indeed Christ died to save me, this I read 
and in my heart I find a need for him to be my Savior, that he would leave his place on high and come for sinful man to die. You counted strange, so once did I, before I knew my Savior. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God, He's always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God, He's always gonna be. Yes, living, dying, let me breathe. My strength, my soul is from this spring. May you live to be my king. Once died to be my savior. Then he would leave his place on high. And come for sinful man to die. You counted strange, so once did I. Before I knew my Savior My Savior loves, my Savior lives My Savior's always there for me My God, He was, my God, He is My God, He's always gonna be My Savior loves, my Savior lives My Savior's always there for me My God, He was, my God, He is My God, He's always gonna be Yes, living, dying, let me breathe. My strength, my soul is from this spring. Let he who lives to be my king. Once died to be my savior. Then he would leave his place on come for sinful man to die. You counted strange, so once did I, before I knew my Savior. Praise God. We have uh, another song for you. Uh, not a ooh, loud. <laughs> coincidence that we're singing the song is called Stronger uh, after we just watched that play. Um, just like to also point out that um, Satan was an angel. Jesus is God. They're not even on the same plane. <laughs> God is so inherently stronger. <laughs>
Praise God. Give God the glory this morning. One of my favorite songs right there, too. I could sing that one all day. I know some folks don't, don't worship with music. Some worship with music, some don't. However, that's just one of those songs I think should grab everybody. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Job. Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. I didn't think to give the scriptures to Bob this morning. I apologize, Bob. We're going to be in Job chapter 11 and a little bit later in Luke chapter 18. Oh, Morgan's here. I thought you were in TRF. Sorry. It's good to see you, honey. (laughs) Amen. So turn to the book of Job this morning. Job chapter 11. Let me say this morning, guys, if you did not already know it, God's people are not immune to suffering and confusion in life. Just because we get, just because we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that's a great and wonderful thing, doesn't mean that all of a sudden life on this side of glory is going to be peaches and cream. That's just not true. There, that we are not immune to the trials and the tribulations and and the the things that transpire relationally and financially and physically, the things that happen to this physical body, we are not ostracized from those things just because we accepted Christ. Those things still happen in our lives. We are still uh, susceptible to all the things anyone else is. However, the book of Job gives Christians, I believe, permission to vent, to cry, to, to, to grieve, to be angry, to be depressed. We see these things in Job. We see a man who is a righteous man, a godly man, have these incredible trials placed upon him. And he, he cried out. He vented. He was, he was hurt. Job reminds us that we are very much spiritual, physical, emotional beings. We're not angels all of a sudden and can just not have anything bother us anymore. No. Just because we believe in Christ doesn't mean that the world's not going to be heavy at times. Job was a man of integrity. He was a man who feared God and shunned evil. There is no way to to take that away from Job. He was a godly man. God blessed Job with wisdom. He blessed Job with prosperity. Job had everything going on there. He was a godly man. He, 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 He was a faithful man. He truly trusted the Lord. But some of that changed when Satan, the accuser, accused Job of worshiping God just for the blessings. In other words, the accuser, Satan, told God, you know, Job's really not that good of a person. He's doing these things just for the rewards. And in some sense here, God complimented Job when he chose Job to prove Satan wrong. Now you may say, but look at all the harsh things that Job went through. God knew Job's heart. And even though Job cried out, Job was hurting and all these things, God knew that Job would prove Satan wrong. God permitted Satan to come down and and strip away the blessings from Job's life. Just take it all. Livestock, property, servants, children, uh, his own health, all ripped out of Job's life in a very short amount of time. Everything taken from him. The grief grief of, of losing his wealth was nothing compared to the agony of losing his children. He lost everything. This was a godly man. This was a righteous man. This was a just man. He lost everything. And then to, 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 to further it along, he had the loss of his health. It paralyzed him with a, a sense of helplessness. 
He just sat there and he looked up to the Lord and he cried out, literally cried out and, and, and called upon the name of God and couldn't understand, why is this happening to me? But regardless of all the pain, regardless of all his crying out, regardless of all the, the, the crying and asking God what's going on, one thing is for sure, when we look at Job's life, if you've never read the book of Job, I, I pray that you will go and read the entire book. Make that a, a homework for the entire week. But when you look at Job's life, you see he hung on to his integrity and his faith in God. Satan took was able to take all these material things, but he could not tap or touch or take the integrity and the faith that Job had in his God. Even though everything was gone and he was crying out, he was hurting. He was not a silent sufferer. He was crying with, he had that self-pity. He had anger. He was depressed. At one point, he wished death would just come on him and end his pain. He asked questions of God that God could answer, but chose not to do. But yet he still never let go of his integrity. He still never let go of his faith in who was true. So then Job's friends come along. And Job's friends come there with the intention to, intention to comfort him, but in turn, they actually kind of turned against him. This morning, that's what I want us to look at. The message that God laid on my heart this morning is one I don't believe, I've probably taught Sunday school classes, however, I don't believe I've ever preached from the pulpit. But it's one about Zophar. We're going to look at his third friend here, Zophar, and we're going to look at his self-righteous actions. You see, Zophar was a self-righteous man. I'm not saying he was lost. I'm not saying that he didn't know God. I'm not saying that he didn't have faith in God. What I'm saying is, in his faith, he became a self-righteous individual. And I think by looking at his life, we can look at some things in our life to helpfully help us from becoming that self-righteous individual that tends to hurt and put down others and push others away rather than listening to what God has to say. Because you see, oftentimes, I think, especially if we've been in church a long time, we start thinking it's our way or the highway. We start getting a self-righteous attitude that I'm right, you're wrong, rather than realizing there's maybe a middle ground here. There may be something mixed up in there. Zohar, uh, Zophar excuse me, points this out in his life, I think. So we're going to look at the mistakes that, that, that Zophar has done here. So in Job chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, then Zophar, the Naamite, replied, should this stream of words go unanswered and such a talker be acquitted? Should your babbling put others to silence so that you can keep on ridiculing with no one to humiliate you? You have said my teaching is sound and I am pure in your sight. But if only God would speak and declare his case against you, he would show you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know then that God has chosen to overlook some of your sin." Can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he passes by and throws someone in prison or convenes a court, who can stop him? Surely he knows which people are worthless. If he sees iniquity, will he not take note of it? But a stupid man will gain understanding as soon as a wild donkey is born a man. As for you, if you redirect your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer, if there is iniquity in your hand, remove it and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents, then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid, for you will forget your suffering, recalling it only as waters that have flowed by. Your life will be brighter than noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. 
you will be confident because there is hope. You will look carefully about and lie down and safely. You will lie down without fear and many will seek your favor. But the sight of the wicked will fail. Their way of escape will be cut off and their only hope will be for you to die. Folks, everything that so far says there sounds great. It sounds good. It sounds legitimate. The things that Zophar says here, there is a lot of preaching that can be done out of that. What he says in those scriptures are very, very true. They get, they're, they're true and they're, they're relevant to, to, to society in general. The problem is they were irrelevant to Job. Zophar is preaching to Job all these different things, and, and it sounds like great stuff, but what, what he's doing is pointing out what he already knows, as in, look what I know, and obviously you must not. Zovar says that, that if people receive punishment equal to their sins, they would be dead. Absolutely. Every one of us. If we receive the punishments equal to our sin, we would be dead. He then goes on to say that, that how can we possibly understand how God works? His ways are higher than our ways. We know that. What he says is true. I'm not questioning the validity or the truth of what Zophar says. And when he says those who are hurting should seek God because God's the only one who can restore health, absolutely. God is the only one who can restore blessings. All and everything that Zophar said was true, but they did not need to be said. He came to supposedly going to uplift his friend Job, but instead he turned it around to preaching at his friend and preaching things that did not need to be said. You see, Job was not suffering due to his sin. Now, Zophar and his self-righteousness just knew that, oh, it's because something you did. There's sin going on. Now, you and I know the backstory. We know that Job's suffering had absolutely nothing to do with sin. In fact, it was the opposite. Because he was such a righteous man, God chose to utilize him to prove the point to Satan that you are wrong, that there are godly men down there who will not turn their back on me just because of blessings. But yet Zophar comes and starts preaching all this stuff. Zophar's, uh, excuse me, Job's suffering was really due to his faithfulness. This test of Satan had nothing to do with the things Zophar was throwing out there. Job already knew these things. Job already knew that God's ways were a mystery. He already knew that you couldn't comprehend God's ways. Job was, was still seeking God, but God remained silent. For Zophar to tell him, well, you just need to seek out God's ways. Job was. He was seeking it out, but God was choosing not to say anything. Not only were Zophar's counsels irrelevant to Job, but his attitude when he was saying them, and you can see this if you read further along in the passage, was self-righteous. He was just pointing out what he knew and saying, well, this obviously is what's wrong with you. He was taking and, and putting together all his, his theological teaching, and rather than helping his friend, rather than sitting with his friend, rather than listening to his friend, rather than just praying with his friend, he decided to put on the self-righteous act and go and tell his friend, obviously, what you must be doing wrong. Folks, when we, we become self-righteous, when we start declaring ourselves to be right, when maybe we're not. Zophar was declaring himself to be right. Well, you know, if you hadn't a sin, this wouldn't happen to you. We know that was absolutely not true in Job's life. That had nothing to do with what was going on there. Self-righteous people tend to enjoy telling other people where they are wrong. The Mr. Know-it-alls. Now, we may not be full bore self-righteous, but how many times, especially when it comes to Scripture or how to live a Christian life, 
do we like to tell other people how to live? This is what you should do because I did this, this, and this. We, we become Mr. Know-it-all rather than letting the Scripture be a know-it-all. It's kind of like the, the, the lady who remarked one time, I knew when I was uh, getting married, I was marrying Mr. Right. I just didn't realize his first name was always. We, are, a lot of us, tend to think, even if I'm wrong, I got all the right reasons why I'm wrong. We like to think we're right. We like to promote this ideology that, that I know everything. I've got everything lined out here. I think self-righteousness is found in every one of us in some, to some degree. Some of us a little bit, some of us more than others. How we look at that self-righteousness, when we look at ourselves, how much we allow that self-righteousness to show itself is how much it's going to create problems in our lives and the lives of those around us. When we get self-righteous and start saying how we know best, we know everything, when in reality only God knows everything. That's what hurts relationships. That's what drives folks from the church. That's what drives family from the, from the home. That's what, that's what drives re, uh, workplace, people getting uh, animosities in the workplace and having to quit or not looking to their, their supervisor with any kind of respect. When we have that know-it-all attitude, that self-righteousness tends to lead to a critical and judgmental spirit. You've been around that boss, a self-righteous supervisor or worker or wife or father who, who all they hear, all they put out there is your mistakes. When we all only want to point out other people's mistakes, guys, we need to stop and assess ourselves. That's what Zophar was doing. Well, you must have did this, 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 and this, rather than stopping and just being a friend. When we start pointing out everyone's mistakes, rather than looking at our own life, we're going to miss a lot of opportunities. In fact, we even have a hard time uh, asking for forgiveness. We have a hard time forgiving others or asking for forgiveness because we'll get this little bit by little bit mindset, this self-righteous mindset, well, if I'm right, they're wrong, therefore I don't have to ask for forgiveness, they do. And we get this mindset, well, if I'm always right, then why do I need to ask for forgiveness of anyone? If we recognize a touch of self-righteousness in us, we're in good company. As I said, I think all of us have a little bit. We just need to stop and assess how much. God recorded this example of Zophar for you and I, so we should stop and take an honest look, a a, a face-to-face problem with the self-righteousness in our lives, and then deal with it. Zophar's counsel to Job was to to give hints of his self-righteousness. He was pointing out all the things that he knew. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of what shows self-righteousness. But some of the things he did, some of the mistakes he makes here, we can learn from these. The first one there we see in verses 1 through 6. When he's talking to Job and he, he, he comes off this, this idea of defending himself. Now you say, how was he defending himself? Where, what's going on there? Zophar tells Job that his suffering is due to his sin. That if he hadn't sinned, then there would be no suffering in his life. He's pointing out, this is obviously what you have done. He, he, he's trying to point to specific sins in, Job, in, in Job's life. And Zophar saying, you know, this, this is the claim. This is what you have obviously done. This is why God's doing this to you. And what's really happening is Zophar is defending himself. I didn't do these things, and, I, and therefore I'm in good shape. So you must have done those things because you're in bad shape. It's kind of like if we come up on a homeless person, Sometimes the first thing that goes through our minds is he wouldn't be that way if he was more responsible. He wouldn't be that way if he was more diligent and good like myself. 
How many times have we come up on somebody and say, well, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like I've done, when in reality we don't know where that man came from. We don't even know if he has any boots to pull up by their straps. The old saying, you should not judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes, should run through our heads because that person on the corner today, things may happen in your life and you're there in a month or so. Heaven forbid. But we tend to defend ourselves. I'm not where you're at because look how good I am. I was responsible. I was worthy. I, I, I was able to put all this responsible, diligent thing together. And therefore, you're where you're at because you did not do that. And we are defending ourselves when in reality we don't know a thing about that person on that corner. In our minds, we start thinking about that people, that homeless person, that obese person, that divorced person. If you had done this, this, and this, you wouldn't be divorced now. If you'd done this, this, and this, you wouldn't be obese. If you'd done this and this, you wouldn't be homeless. And we like to give our rules and regulations as to why we think you're in the position you're in, when in reality, only God knows what we should be doing. Rather than giving them the self-righteous this, this, and this, we should be going to them and saying, Brother, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I help you through this situation? How can I strengthen this relationship with you? And can I just be here and be a friend for you? Folks, only God knows all the intricacies that works between a man and his life. God knows the heart of a man, not you and I. Zophar was talking to Job like, I know everything about you, Job. You're here like this because you got all this sin in your life. If you would just get rid of it like I got rid of mine, look, I'm high and mighty. I'm, I don't have boils. I got children. I got money. I got stuff. You're sitting there looking rough. Obviously, it's because you didn't get rid of your sin. Zophar didn't have a clue what he was talking about. His self-righteousness kept him from being a good friend when Job needed a friend. His defending, look how good I am, got in the way of him being the friend that Job needed right then. We we tend to like to defend our our own self-image, if you will. We we don't want a low self-image. We don't want to think of ourselves as, as... the good and the bad, so I have to be on the good, so that makes you obviously the bad. And so I'm going to defend everything over here so I can keep a separation going on. No. Folks, the only thing that should separate people, there are those who are saved and those who are not. And those who are not, those who are saved should be going to them, not judging them. We should not be putting down those within our families. We should not be putting down those within our church. We should not be putting down those within the community. We should be going and lifting them up and exalting them in the name of Jesus Christ. Not taking that self-righteous action of, look how good I am. Look how righteous I am. You wouldn't have all this stuff if you just quit this sin and quit that sin. We need to share Christ. The, the whole thing, guys, is God. we catch them, God cleans them. We should share the gospel with them. And you know what happens when someone comes to know Christ? They're going to start wanting to look in this right here. And then we need to be ready. He said, go ye therefore and baptize and make disciples. We should be willing to train them up. And now what the Bible says, not what Frank says, not my self-righteous attitude. I need to train them up in what Christ says. This is the mirror that we look into. This is what we show examples by. This is what we need to show other people. It's not the, remember Jesus, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. I came to save the sick. Folks, those who are down and out don't need our self-righteous attitudes. They need to know that Jesus Christ is their salvation. We need to share the love of Christ with them, not the, the, the holy hit on the head with the thick Bible part of it. 
We need to let them know that Jesus loves them. And that, yes, you may be in some dire situations and some dire circumstances. And no, I can't answer all the stuff here. But God loves you. When we will stop and, and, and understand that we don't need to defend our actions, quit trying to defend ourselves and just present Jesus Christ, then we can be less self-righteous. Then we can be more accepting rather than blaming. We can be, show more grace and mercy rather than pushing people away. There is a lot of self-righteousness running through the churches today. We like to take our, our, our four spiritual laws. We like to take our, our, our theology. We like to take our seminary training. We like to take our theological training. And, and you know, I have studied the Word. I, I, I have studied the Greek. I've studied the, the Latin. I've studied the Vulgate. I have libraries of books. And I, I think I could carry a really in-depth theological discussion on everything from eschatology to, to, the, to the resurrection. But you know what? All that means is not worth a hill of beans if I don't share the love of Christ with my brother or sister. Yeah, all that is for nothing if I drive a wedge between my brother and I. If I drive a wedge between those whom I love. If I drive a wedge between those of the community, if I drive a wedge just because I want to look better than you, because I want to defend myself rather than share the love of God, it doesn't matter how much theological training you have. God said, you'll know my people by the love they have one for another. He didn't say you'll know my people by how many seminary degrees they have or how well they can point out the faults of others. He didn't say you'll know my people by how well they can criticize those within their family and church body. That you'll know my people by the love they have one for another. That love that we have for one another, guys, is going to exclude self-righteousness. There's a pl- there are plenty self-righteous Christians out there. God doesn't need any more of those. He needs us to go out and share the gospel. Go out there and say, God, this, this is where we are. You know, there was a, a pastor friend of mine. One time I was talking to him. And so, someone in their self, he, he lost his son. His son was in seminary up in, in Fort Worth, and his son was in a car crash, and he died. And he was sharing this with me that a lot of the people would come up to him and say, well, you know, God, God, I'm going to defend God here. I'm going to t- tell you that, that God has gone, is going to save a lot of people because of your son's death. You know what my pastor friend said? He said, wow, you know, my son was in seminary. He was going to be in the ministry. Couldn't he have saved a whole lot more people while he was alive? You see, in our self-righteousness, not only are we defending ourselves, sometimes we think we have to defend God. We should not defend God. I, I, I can't understand why God does some of the things he does. I, his ways are higher than my ways. He doesn't need me to defend him. God, When God takes someone home, whether they're young or old, good or bad, I, I can't tell you why. All I can do is pray with you and love with loan you and let you know that, that yes, he's in control. Now that I do know. I know God is there, but you know what it says in Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine? Go back and look at it sometime. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. But it says that that the secret things in life belong to the Lord. The secret things in life belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed for us are for our children to know forever and ever. In other words, there are secret things that we are just not going to know on this side of glory. And when we start trying to put words in God's mouth and defend actions and making things up, 
we don't have a clue. Zophar was telling Job, you lost all your friends and your family and your kids and all your wealth because you sinned, because you haven't confessed, because you're trying to seek out things of God and you're not seeking them out properly. Again, Zophar didn't have a clue what was going on. First he was defending himself, now he's defending God. Telling Job, why are you crying out unto the Lord? Just shut up and get your life right and everything will be good. And that's not what was happening at all. Zophar was showing you and I here his own arrogant self-righteousness, putting words in the mouth of God. In my personal thing, I would have liked seeing God step down right then and put his arm around Zophar and just, really? Let's talk about this. Because Zophar was talking for God and saying everything absolutely wrong for Job to hear. Zophar did not have a clue. Now, what he said was truth in general, but not in this situation. He was defending God, showing again his self-righteousness. Most of the time, people defend God because they don't want to, to try to define that there's something that God cannot do. They don't want to know that, that there's something they don't understand about God. We like to think we know it all. We want everything in control. And therefore, we take God and we put him in this pretty little box and say, if I say three of these and four of those, God has to do this. Or if I do this, that, and that, then God has to do this. Or if this happened, then it's because this happened. God did this and this. Folks, let me tell you something. My God is bigger than whatever box you try to put him in. And no matter how much you think you can understand the, 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 the scriptures you put all around it, there is no one on this side of glory that fully comprehends this but Jesus Christ. We can't. All we can do is put our trust in him and say, Father, I don't understand, but here it is. We need to quit trying to defend God and let the God defend himself. Now, that doesn't mean not know your scriptures. The Bible says to, to study, to find yourself approved, to be ready with an answer in season and out of season. We, we are to study the scriptures and support the scriptures. But when it comes to what happens in someone's life, and we don't know why God took this loved one home. We don't know why God shut this plant down and laid off a hundred people. We may not know why things happen. Rather than making up excuses, just stop and say, you know what, I don't know. But my God has a plan for you. He still loves you. I don't know what it is right now. But we'll pray about it. We'll see if he shows us. When we stop trying to defend God, we begin to worship God. The true God, not the one we locked in a box. When we realize that God is bigger than our box, that I can't describe everything about him, it's then that I will realize and see the awesomeness, the mightiness of the true creator, the one who has given me salvation. When I quit trying to defend him and realize he is far greater than I, then who and not would I be to defend? I'll get on my knees and look up and say, Father, thank you. When I realize he is far deeper than my finite mind can comprehend, that's when I'll be the brother or sister that's needed to that friend. Zophar should have went to Job. He should have got down on his knees. He shouldn't have tried to defend himself. He shouldn't have tried to defend God. He should have got on his knees and said, Brother, I don't know, but I'm going to sit right here with you. I love you, and I'm going to pray with you, and, and I want to be right here. I'm going to sit right here with you, and, and we're going to pray this through. That's what a friend would have done. That's what the love would have been. A true friend, you see, is not going to be self-righteous. If we truly care about somebody, you know what one of the hardest things it is for people to do sometimes? Is to say, I'm sorry, first. They're too self-righteous. They don't admit they did anything wrong. 
If we truly love somebody, sometimes it means swallowing our pride and in humility realize, you know what? I was wrong here too. Or, you know what? I don't know why God's allowed this to happen. I don't know what's going on here. But I love you. I'm sorry for my part of what's transpiring here. And I want to sit and I want to hold your hand and we're going to pray and we're just going to seek out a mighty God. We're going to worship rather than be arrogant. We're going to worship rather than be self-righteous. We're going to get on our knees and seek God's direction. Now, I would also say that Zophar at the end there, in that 18 through 20, he was looking at his own successes. He looks at Job. He sees him down here in the dirt. He sees that he's lost everything. Everything is gone. Everything is his children, his material things. Everything is gone. All that's left is the Bible says, not Frank, but the Bible says was a nagging wife. That's all the man had left to him. And Zophar is like, wow, bro, that's rough. Look at all the stuff I got. I have all these things. He saw all his successes compared to Job's current circumstance. And instead of getting on his knees again, he says, wow, this is what you ought to do. I I picture Zophar kind of like somebody today who would walk into the midst of someone who's hungry and starving and hand out the four spiritual laws or God's five ways of financial success or seven ways to have a happy Christian home. Give them a book instead of a meal. You see, unfortunately, we tend to like to put God in these, these boxes, these patterns, these heavenly... We, we tend to think of God as a heavenly vending machine. If we say everything just right, He's going to dole out the blessings as long as we give the correct change. That's not the way it is, guys. Just because something works for you... Zophar said, hey, this works for me. It's obviously got to be what works for you. Just because it works for you doesn't mean that's what God desires in the life of somebody else. Just because you are able to, 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 to gravitate towards these academics or this or that or the other, doesn't mean that everybody else can. Rather than telling people how to do things, let's point them to Christ. All this comes back in Zophar's life as being self-righteous. Everything he shares there, whether he's defending himself, whether he's defending God, whether he's defending his successes, it all comes down to saying, look at me and how good I am. And you could be like this if you just copy me. And yet we know the story. Job obviously was more righteous than he, or God would have chosen him to prove Satan wrong. Job was the man that God chose to prove. I, I, I'd like to see Zophar's face. We know if you read the book of Job, God, God just replenishes. God just really blesses Job afterwards. I wonder what Zophar was thinking at that point. Now, this is Frank. This has absolutely nothing to do with Scripture. But in my mind, that's why I'm not God, because if I was God, I'd say, "Ah, now it's your turn, buddy. Isn't it great that you're not God? How many lightning bolts will be flying down Interstate 10? That's our self-righteousness coming out. Folks, God doesn't need any more self-righteousness. We need to, to pride ourselves into looking to Christ, looking to who God is. In Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, listen to what Jesus said. It wasn't just in Job's day. It was rampant in Christ's day, and it's rampant today. But he teaches us here in verse 9. He said, He who also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, greedy, unrighteous, 
adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, what did he say? He would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Folks, God doesn't need to hear how good you are. He doesn't need you going telling people how good you are. He doesn't need you thinking that you're so good that you can defend him. Self-righteousness separates us from, from God and from one another. We need to realize that I am a sinner saved, saved by grace. I am no closer to God than anyone else. People say, well, you're a pastor. You got that red line that goes right straight to God. People come to me, I want you to pray for me because I know you and God are close. And that's great. I would love to pray for that individual. But let me tell you something. I am a man just like any other. You ask my wife, I have all those same faults. But you know what, guys? I know that I am a sinner saved by the blood of the Lamb. For he said, whomsoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He who professes my name with their mouth and believe that I rose from the dead, so shall they be saved. Folks, there are those who have been saved by the blood and those who have not. We don't need to walk around arrogantly and self-righteously portraying how righteous we are. We don't need to get up in front of the church and be the loudest one to pray, the loudest one to drop their money into the coffers as the Pharisees did in the New Testament. We should let others see Christ in us. And to see Christ in us, he said what? By the love they have one for another. Let's put our self-righteousness behind. You know, there's a lot of families that could still be mended and brought together if self-righteousness was placed on the back burner. There's a lot of churches that would be stronger if the self-righteous ones would stay away. There's a lot of churches that would grow if the community would see Christ rather than arrogance. Zophar said everything was true. I mean, everything Zophar said was truth. But it didn't need to be said right then. He was showing his tail. And Job looked up at him and said, I don't need to hear this. If you read on in that later, Job looked at him and said, you self-righteous person. How dare you? I know who God is. I pray to him daily. And Zophar walked away. What kind of friend was that? You want to be the friend? You want to be that loved one? You want to be that church member? You want to be that employer, that employee that others will look to and say, man, God's working in their life? Then put away the self-righteousness and be what God's called you to be. Now, you can't do that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We need to understand we need to quit defending ourselves, try, quit trying to put words in the mouth of God defending Him, and quit trying to defend our successes and just stop and share the love of Christ. And the only way to share the love of Christ is to know the love of Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that, then you can't do it. You may have all the biblical teaching there is in your head, but you know, without the love of Christ, you're just going to be a, a self-righteous mouthpiece. Arrogant, probably. 
You may be here this morning and say, you know, I do know Jesus. But I have found that I do tend to get a little self-righteous in areas. Isn't it great we serve a Lord who said, you bring it on to me, I will be faithful and true to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If we will confess our sins unto the Lord, he will cleanse us. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can accept him today and he'll move in your life. If you do know him and you realize that you have tents of this self-righteousness, you can give that to him today and he'll move in your life as well. We serve a God that can move in every individual's life in this room at the exact same time and do exactly what they need if we will open our hearts and allow him to do so. But you have to make the choice. You can choose to have a hardened heart, a self-righteous, pious heart, or you can choose to let the love of God flow through. We can be as Zophar, or we can be as Job. And as I began this, if you choose to be as Job, there may be times that God's going to use you in, in a way that's going to make, be blessings to others, but you may not understand it. But the thing to do is remember, my God's in control. Don't get arrogant. Don't get self-righteous. Just put it in Jesus' hands. Let's all stand. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. This altar will be open. I'd love to pray with you. You can come down and pray at this altar. You can pray right where you're at. You may want to cross the aisle and pray with somebody over there. But here's the thing, guys. If you recognize a little self-righteousness, a little arrogance in your life, why not give it to the Lord today? Why not turn that over to him? Look at the example of Zophar. Go back and look at all the things he says to Job. But then remember who Job is. And you'll see, wow, what an arrogant person this was. As I said, God doesn't need any more self-righteous Christians. He needs real Christians. Are you ready to share the grace of God with those who you come in contact with today? That's the question. If you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, then I'm going to impress upon you the, the, the necessity of getting that straight before it's too late. My God loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you. However, He will not force Himself. He is choosing to allow you to make that decision. Will you choose to love Him in return? Or are you going to turn your back and basically step into a ring with Him as the youth did a while, showed you a while ago? I guarantee you I know who wins. It's not you. You can either trust him today or not. And if you know him already, you can turn it over to him, your life over to him today. Let's get rid of the self-righteousness in God's house. Amen? Amen. This altar will be open. I'd love to pray with you if you need me to. But let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, I lift this opportunity of invitation up to you. This isn't just a part of an agenda here, Lord God. This is a moment that I pray you will work in the hearts of your people. Point out to us those of us that may have those insecurities, those of us that may be somewhat self-righteous and, and defending those things. Help us to just make a stand, Lord God, for you. May we turn our lives over into your hands and trust you in all that we say and do. May your will be done in, in the hearts of your people this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this morning, if God's speaking to you, you can come to this altar, you can pray where you're at, I'll pray with you. Well, let's, let's make the commitment to one another today. Make it to yourself between you and God to put aside all the self-righteousness 
And let's be the friends that we've been called to be. Let's be the, the, the loved ones that we've been called to be. Let's be the Christians we've been called to be.